episode number eight. Hello, friends. This is the Expected Returns Podcast. My name is Stephen Lutman. I'm a real estate investor and broker in the capital region of New York State. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. Topics here focus primarily on real estate. However, we'll also touch on financial markets, economic data, and really anything that impacts housing. For those watching on YouTube, you can see we've officially made the transition from sweater weather to a nice short sleeve polo. Subscribe to the channel to find more fun content like this. We have a couple great things in the works that you don't want to miss. And if that's just not enough, you need more Steve. Well, I have good news for you. April's Saratoga Business Journal and its sister publication, Glens Falls Business Journal. You can find a piece I wrote on rising mortgage rates. You can find this paper, a couple sources. A lot of local banks have it, some Chinese takeout restaurants. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And of course, their website, again, Saratoga Business Journal, Glens Falls Business Journal. Check it out. Let me know what you think. If you like it, perhaps you let them know that you enjoyed the content and they'll invite me back for more, which would be great. No intro this week, nothing else to plug, just your questions in the mailbag. So let's get into it. Question number one, Steve, with housing prices up 19% last year, surely we're in a bubble, right? So the metric being referenced here is the CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index. It's a national metric and has a focus on big markets like Atlanta, LA, Houston, meaning when you look at your local housing market, it could be radically different. Capital Region, as an example, in 2021 increased at half the rate as the case shiller. But it's still helpful because it's good to keep an eye on both the micro and macro within any type of environment that you're studying. However, in no universe is a 19% increase in sales price healthy. And with wage growth projected to be Somewhere in the threes this year, it's also incredibly unsustainable. Deceleration, however, is very different than a bubble bursting. In the early 2000s, we had both the dot-com bubble, where investors lost three quarters of their money, and some people will remember the Beanie Baby Bonanza, where toys went from retailing for $5 to then being resold on the secondary market for I kid you not, thousands of dollars only to end up in thrift stores a year or two later for a dollar. What both of these events had in common was an oversupply. Too many unprofitable technology companies in one case and an oversaturation of new releases in the other. And these were being bought up by speculators looking to flip for a quick profit. This is very different than the housing market of today. 80% of single-family home sales are to buyers who intend to occupy the property, and at least locally here, supply has never been lower. 1.6 million homes were constructed last year. However, that's only about 20% of the actual need. If prices are to significantly retreat, a bubble bursting if you will, it won't be because of a sudden change on the supply side of the equation. Instead, it's going to be a reduction in demand. The Federal Reserve hikes us into a recession, the economy contracts, and employment falls off a cliff. That's really the only path I see for home prices crashing. And to be clear, I don't expect that to be the case. 
Steve, the U.S. trade deficit reached its highest point ever last year. Is our country doomed? Let's define what we're talking about. A gap in trade is simply the difference between what you import and what you export. Mexico buys cheese from Wisconsin. That's a U.S. export. You buy a Sony flat screen. That's a Japanese import. A trade surplus means you exported more than you imported. A deficit is vice versa. To be clear, not all trade deficits are bad things. I have a decade-long trade deficit with Starbucks, meaning I buy more goods from them than they buy from me. But nobody is being taken advantage of here. This is very much a consensual coming together of buyers and sellers. Now, if Starbucks was owned by the state of New York, who was subsidizing the cost of a cup of coffee so that they artificially undercut competitors on price, okay, that's a different conversation. The widely used example of this is... Chinese steel companies offering their products to American buyers at prices substantially lower than U.S. companies can manufacture. And they can get away with doing this because their cost is subsidized by the Chinese Communist Party. And before you say, Steve, we got to do something about this. Well, if you want to see U.S. manufacturing making a meaningful resurgence, be prepared for that $60 air fryer you bought on Amazon last week to suddenly cost $140 once U.S. workers start making it. The last time our country experienced a trade surplus was 1975, and I would wager we don't see another one during any one of our lifetimes. Alex wants to know about house hunting with a real estate agent. My expectations are you give a realtor set metrics, they punch it into the MLS, and results are sent to prospective buyers by email. My significant other's thinking is more like when our parents bought houses, told a realtor what types of houses they liked, and the agent filters through listings to find that type. Okay, I think I get the gist of the question. Essentially, what role does an agent, so me, play when you buy a house? On any given day, there are, say, 100 new listings that get entered into the local multiple listing service here in the capital region. 60 might be single-family homes, 10 are commercial buildings, another 10 are vacant apartments for lease, and 20 are some form of a multi-unit building. I'm not sifting through each one of these listings saying, oh, that's a great fit for Bob, or Sue would really like that backyard. I view my responsibilities as first and foremost educating you on the current housing market negotiating the best possible purchase agreement based on what you tell me is most important to you, and to recommend quality service providers, things like lenders, attorneys, home inspectors, when you need them. But on the front end, give me your criteria and the database gods will do the heavy lifting for us. This next one is fun. Steve, workers at the Latham Starbucks are one of the first in the country to unionize. What do you think? I think it's great. Let's set the scene first. In the 1980s, roughly one out of every five U.S. workers were members of a union. Compare that with today, and it's about half that. Now, I've never been a union member, nor have I been part of management where direct reports of mine were union members. 
So my perspective here is very much as an outsider. But for me personally, this is just Steve talking here, I would never want to be part of a union. I don't want a third-party collective bargaining on my behalf. I want to be compensated strictly on my job performance in my chosen field, not as a group and based on a predetermined wage scale that was put together when I wasn't even in the room. However, what I believe is best for me is not best for the entirety of mankind. You could be an Amazon warehouse worker and be fantastic at your job, but be terrible at salary negotiations, which is absolutely a skill. There are a multitude of reasons this could be the case. You skew introvert and confrontation is, you know, you just find to be unsettling. Maybe you've just never done it before. Perhaps English isn't your primary language. You might not even have access to data on the going rate for your job title. These are all perfectly acceptable reasons why you might benefit from union membership. My feelings on this are geared very much towards the private sector world. Where my patience starts to wear thin is with the public sector. When, for example, Major League Baseball players go on strike, it's a bit of a bummer, right? But life goes on. When city sanitation workers, however, don't show up, we have a public health emergency to deal with. Too often, we see groups like teachers strike the day before school is to start. Why do they do this? because they have all of the leverage. Unlike coffee, where I can go down the street to a competitor, there's no easy alternative when it comes to things like schooling. A healthy back and forth is what all negotiations should strive to look like. But unfortunately, all too often, it seems like public sector unions take advantage of the very people that they're hired to assist. Next one, Steve, I feel like everyone lies these days. Well, that's more of a comment than a question, but yeah, I agree. There is a lot of nonsense out there. The news, from my perspective, is unwatchable. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of professional wrestling in that both are more forms of entertainment than any real substance. Our politicians absolutely lie to us. There seems to be something about the skill set required to win an election that far too often leaves us with some real knuckleheads at the end of the day. So what else is there? Well, to quote the great philosopher Yogati, women lie, men lie, money don't lie. I trust markets above all else. Financial markets, betting markets, you show me where people are laying down cold, hard cash, and I'll show you what outcomes are actually most likely. Buyers and sellers freely coming together gives us an equilibrium, and equilibrium, more often than not, is going to be the truth. Okay, last one. Steve, how much time would I need to set aside if I wanted to own rental properties? Great, great question. It's very much a choose-your-own-adventure in that you can be involved as much or as little as you want to be. 
someone just getting started, maybe they earn a modest income at their day job, I would encourage you to take on as much as possible. Enjoy the process. It's a great learning experience. Develop basic home repair skills. Educate yourself on how to screen tenant applications. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're, say, a doctor or an attorney, a high-income earner, you should be focusing all of your attention on your career and hire everything out when it comes to managing your rental properties. Now, it's never going to be 100% passive. You do occasionally want to touch base with your property manager, but that's easy. That's, that's not a heavy lift. I can't give you an exact figure. It's very dependent upon the size of your property and how involved you choose to be. But for almost everybody listening to this podcast, when you factor in home price appreciation, mortgage paydown, monthly cash flow, the hourly income from rentals will far outpace what you earn in your W-2. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know has a real estate-related need, let's connect. Stephen at sjlincoln.com is the email. sjlincoln.com slash book a call is the website. Stephen at sjlincoln.com sjlincoln.com slash book a call. We'll talk again soon. You have nothing better to do at three o'clock in the afternoon? I go out for a quart of milk. I come home and find my son treating his body like it was an amusement park.